Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I was thinking about this even as we were singing. Satan absolutely hates the message of the gospel. And he has done everything over the decades, the centuries, to thwart God's people from knowing God's word because God's word is what changes things in our lives. Our minds are renewed by the word of God. What we do is a result of what we believe. And God's word changes our belief systems so that we become more and more in alignment with God's will and God's way. God empowers us to literally do the things that he demands us to do. I mean, it's, you know, you remember Wayne talking about the jacket. You can use all kinds of different expressions. You can talk about a light. If you're not plugged in, that light is absolutely built and it is designed in order to show forth light into the room. But if it's not plugged into the power source, it's not going to do a thing. And folks, without Christ living his life in and through us, there is no light. We're not the ones that generate the light. The light is from Christ. Christ is the light. And as we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, we get into the word of God, and we understand that the gospel pertains to us as believers because we walk in a manner worthy of the calling as we've received the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we receive him? By faith. We walk now as believers. How? By faith. All of it undergirded with God's life, God's grace, God's sustaining power in and through us. Folks, in the midst of this, we've got to understand, and I believe we do, and I think we are increasingly more and more aware of this, but there is a satanic spiritual battle in our day and age that is unlike potentially anything we've ever seen before. The hatred for Christ is indescribable. The lawlessness that we're watching is simply a precursor of what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 13. When we talk about lawlessness, we're talking about everything against Christ, anything that is against his way. And as the people of God Yielded to the Lord, rejoicing in Christ, recognizing that he is our cornerstone, recognizing that we stand because of him, that without him we couldn't stand. Understand that Satan hates grace. He hates the message of the gospel and understand that the message of the gospel is grace. And that the war taking place is a war for souls. And it is an eternal battle in the sense that it's not an eternal battle, but it's eternal in its scope because people who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to spend eternity in hell. That's true. That's reality. How is that impacting us day by day, moment by moment, where we're yielding our lives afresh to the Lord in everything that we do, in everything that we say, and our lives are for him. Well, in chapter 13 of Revelation, we're going to walk through this today, and I know this is heavy stuff, and Well, I'll tell you what, it's sobering for sure. There's the unholy trinity, right? Satan, the dragon, we've seen the dragon. He's trying to destroy the woman, which is Israel. He tries to destroy the child of the woman, which is Christ. And then he can't do that, so he goes off and he makes war against the offspring, which is the Jewish people. The unholy trinity, the dragon, and his two beasts. 
the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth. And just walking through this this morning, the first beast, if you look at chapter 13, verse 1, the first thing we recognize about this first beast who is the Antichrist is that he's given complete rule over the nations. Verse 1 says, The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Here's the dragon, who is Satan, standing on the sand of the seashore, and we have this visual of a beast coming up out of the sea. And that is simply speaking to the uh, fact that this beast, this Antichrist, is going to come out of the Gentiles. When you talk about the sea here, we're talking about a picture of the nations and this beast coming up out of the nations. He's going to be a Gentile. He's going to be somebody that is from earth. He is literally human, but he is empowered satanically by the dragon or by Satan himself. It says he has 10 horns and seven heads. And he has ten diadems speaking to the ruling over the earth, the fact that the Holy Roman Empire is going to be reconstituted, and he is going, the Antichrist, this first beast, is going to rule over the earth. Daniel was given this picture in chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. He says, thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, this is the Holy Roman Empire brought back together again, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Total rule, complete rule. And as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. Again, this is the Antichrist who has subdued these leaders. He is absolutely in control and in power over the earth. In Revelation 13, 2, John sees this picture of the beast and the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. In other words, the dragon, Satan, is giving the Antichrist the power and the authority to rule in the way that he is ruling. And we see this picture that the beast looks like a leopard and it looks like a bear and looks like a mouth of a lion. And really the, the picture of it is the previous three kingdoms all coming together in a unique way in this fourth beast, in this fourth kingdom, in the Antichrist himself and his rule of totality over humanity, over all the earth. It is a government unlike any other previous. He's powerful, he's satanically empowered, and he absolutely rules. The second thing we see in verse 3 and following is false worship. Not only does he have complete rule and complete power, but he leads humanity in false worship. He says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? Well, there's a fatal wound that John sees here. 
And it's interesting because this has been a point of speculation for decades. Some would say that, well, maybe this is the government's being alluded to, that they had had a fatal wound, but now in the Holy Roman Empire, in this fourth empire, in this beast that is coming out of the sea, this first one, this Antichrist, you see a healing or a resurrection of the governments, and that's what this fatal wound is talking about. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it. I won't break fellowship with you on it. Uh, but it appears that this is an actual literal wound in one sense, and it should have led to a fatality. In other words, it was a wound that was significant enough that it would have killed the Antichrist, but Satan was able to heal him. It's interesting because the language here is very precise, as if, as if. He said, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed. In other words, it's similar to, it looked like, but it wasn't necessarily complete death. It was a wound leading to, if unattended to, death. Satan heals the Antichrist. And as a result of this, they worship not only Satan, the dragon, but they also worship the beast, humanity at that point. And the statement or the question is made, who is like the beast who is able to wage war with him? Now, folks, we know exactly who is able to wage war with the beast and defeat him with one little word. We just sang it. And it is Christ himself. Don't ever think for a second that the Antichrist is equal in power somehow, some way to Jesus Christ. That is a lie from the pit. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He's ruler over all. He has absolute authority. And one little word will fell Satan, will fell the Antichrist, will fell, as we'll look at in a moment, the false prophet, the second beast out of the earth. Understand, Jesus Christ rules everything. And not one thing that takes place is something that somehow either escaped his notice or was outside the parameters of his absolute authority and sovereignty. He is sovereign and he is ruler over all. The whole point of the tribulation, the whole point of this last three and a half years in the tribulation is specifically to bring this about, to reveal it, to expose it. Satan parades as an angel of light and the truth is, is God sees him as a dragon. Because he knows that he's come to destroy, to steal, to kill. He cares nothing for the people that he desires to take with him to hell for eternity. And the truth of the matter is, is the Lord is allowing these things to expose it and bring an end to it. Whether or not this is speaking of an actual wound or whether it's speaking of governments, Again, I would say that I would say, I would say it's uh, speaking of an actual wound. In fact, verse 14, as we'll look at in a little bit, talks about a wound from a sword, which shouldn't be surprising. We're seeing swords used all over the world today in order to kill people. Whether it's that or not, Walverd puts it this way. He said, the important point is that the final world ruler comes into power, obviously supported by a supernatural and miraculous deliverance by Satan himself. The Antichrist is Satan's puppet. And he rules with complete authority and people worship him in false 
worship. Well, the Antichrist also is a blasphemer, blasphemer of God, which means to say something, if you want to take the literal Greek meaning of the word blasphemer, it literally means to say something stupid about somebody. <laughs> Think about that. He's a blasphemer. Why? Because he is saying things that are untrue about God. He's saying things that are untrue about God's gospel, about Christ himself, about the word of God, about the saints of God. And he's constantly saying things that are not true concerning what God has revealed that is absolutely true. In verse 5, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. This is three and a half years. This is the last half of the tribulation. And I believe that's why these pictures parenthetically are being given to us with regard to the middle of the tribulation. And we're about to enter in to the final three and a half years, which is the outpouring of the bowls on the earth. Verse 6, he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in the earth. Think about the fact, excuse me, dwell in heaven. Think about the fact that uh, as believers, there is constantly an adversary coming against us. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about the truth of the gospel, we talk about the truth of who God is and where he rules and reigns from in heaven and that he's coming back, he's going to return bodily and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. <laughs> Satan comes against that with everything that he's got because those truths change things, change perspective, change the way we think about this world, change the way we think about our own lives ultimately. He's blaspheming against the Lord, and he blasphemes as well against those who dwell in heaven, meaning believers. Daniel 7.25 speaks to this as well in terms of the Antichrist. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time, which is the 42 months, which is the last period, uh, the second half of the tribulation. Well, not only does he blaspheme, he also makes war with the saints. And in this context, I believe he's speaking specifically of Israel. In verse 7, it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him, meaning the entire earth and all the different ethnic groups within it. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. The entire world participates in this false worship and the Antichrist goes and he makes war with the saints which is Israel in order to overcome them in order to overthrow them and I believe God is using this again not only to put down rebellion which is sin but also to bring Israel back to himself which we see at the last part of the seven year tribulation the battle of Armageddon takes place Israel crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah to save them and he comes and he does just that. The Antichrist has power to make war. He has power to overcome Israel in many different ways. In the vision of the dragon who goes after Israel, the woman, and then after her offspring, there's a clear satanic effort that during this time is intensified against Israel. Remember what we saw last week. As Satan has been banned from heaven. He's been thrown down to the earth. He no longer has access to heaven. And as a result, his wrath is great because he knows what? 
His time is short. The last three and a half years are the last point of what he's going to be able to do on this earth during the tribulation. And his wrath is great. He makes war against Israel in a very significant way. And God protects them as they go into those who go into the desert, perhaps Petra. And he protects them there and perhaps even nourishes them, sending them food and water supernaturally in order that they would be protected. It doesn't stop the Antichrist from making war and overcoming the world and receiving false worship from every tribe and people and tongue. Who are those who do not worship the Antichrist or the beast? Are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe during the first three and a half year period of time, there's many people that come to know Christ. Many of them are martyred for their faith. We've seen the different multitudes where John is introduced to these people, asks who in effect they are, and that we're told that these are the people that came out of the tribulation and gave their lives as a result of their testimony of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe at this time there are still people who are on this earth miraculously who have already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see with the false prophet, the second beast, do not receive the mark of the beast. They do not worship the beasts, the first and the second. They do not worship the dragon. And as a result, they are killed. But what's amazing in the midst of all this is the protection that God gives eternally speaking, that their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of life of the Lamb. Folks, understand, spiritually speaking, when we talk about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about salvation by grace through faith. It is not by works so that nobody can boast. It is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, being persuaded that he alone is able to save. He's the Lord and he's able to save. And that eternally, spiritually, protects us forever. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And even though we may be called one day to give our own physical lives for Christ and the glory of God, that Satan could never in any way, shape, or form attack or steal the promise of eternal life from us. Let me ask you something today. Have you believed that? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Period. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what Christ has done for us. And what's beautiful in the midst of all this is we are not in this time. This is prophetic. This is future. But today we have the opportunity of being saved when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive from him what he offers freely but must be believed in, must be received. Have you done that? Do you know that you know that you know that your eternal life is in God's hands and what's in his hand can never be taken away? Think about that, friend. (laughs) Amen. I love verse 9. He goes on. He says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone has an ear, let them hear. 
Now, it's interesting because that differs a little bit from the, the first several chapters of Revelation. If anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to whom? The churches. And so it's kind of an interesting moment because it appears to indicate, again, that the rapture's already taken place. The church is already with the Lord in heaven. And now what's being written is for our benefit, the principles of it, certainly we can apply to our lives and walking with the Lord, et cetera. But in the midst of this, there may be those who are able to read this during the tribulation and they begin to understand, they begin to read, they begin to reflect on, and the Spirit of God through the Word of God is encouraging them, listen, understand. In verse 10, he says, if anyone is destined for captivity to captivity, he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the picture here is very simple in one sense. What comes around goes around. And the Lord's making a promise. If you, as my people, are treated and thrown into captivity, understand that I will throw those who have put you into captivity, I'll throw them into captivity. If they kill you by the sword, guess what? They will be killed by the sword. Because God is a just God. He's merciful, he's loving, he's gracious, but he's also righteous and just. And what comes around goes around. Well, we get to this point in verse 11 where the second beast is introduced. And this is the false prophet. We know that from Revelation, I believe, 19, where he's called the false prophet. In verse 11, he says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. That word another means another of the same kind. They're similar They're not the same in the sense that they are two different beasts. One's the Antichrist, one's the false prophet. What Satan is doing is attempting to mimic the Trinity. He, in effect, is the false father. The Antichrist, in effect, is the false son. And now we see the second beast coming up out of the earth as the Holy Spirit, the false Holy Spirit. He says he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He, like the role of the Holy Spirit, is pictured as a lamb. But unlike the Holy Spirit, obviously, he speaks as a dragon. Why? Because it's his nature to speak as his father, the father of lies, Satan, who is the dragon. This is the false prophet, and he makes or causes all to worship the Antichrist. You know, the Holy Spirit's role is to cause everybody to worship who? The Lord Jesus Christ. I always get a kick out of everybody who says we're ignoring the Holy Spirit. Because if it's truly of the Holy Spirit, what we'll do is always focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it's truly of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead us to worship and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his role. That's what he does. He's not in the corner crying about being neglected. (laughs) In the midst of this, this second beast is constantly pointing to the Antichrist and he's causing people to worship the Antichrist. He speaks as a dragon, which again is his nature. Satan is the empower of both the first and the second beast. 
but he has great power. He has great signs. He has great deceptions that he uses in order to deceive people. In verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword. There's that wound of the sword moment and has come to life. He's able to do miracles. Where did we just hear about fire coming down from heaven? I would suggest he's mimicking the two witnesses. And he's letting everybody know or trying to let everybody know uh, we have just as much authority as they did. So worship us or else you'll die. (laughs) Reminds us of the magicians in Egypt who at first were able to mimic some of the signs, some of the miracles that Moses was able to do. Remember that? Well, this is the same kind of thing. Satan is able to mimic to a point some of the things God does. But I'll tell you what he could never mimic is God's love. <laughs> he can never mimic a pure heart. He can never mimic what it truly means to serve, to lay down his life for somebody else in spite of what it costs him. But here we see this second beast calling down fire from the earth, deceiving people, doing all kinds of miracles in order that people would be deceived. And he even creates an image of the beast, an image of the beast, and has it come to life. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. With technology today, we've got some of these things that are just indescribable. I'll be going down the road. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. And I say, uh, Susan's my ad admin and helps me, and so maybe I'll, I'll say out loud, I need to call Susan, or uh, hey, Siri, call Susan, and what happens? My phone immediately says, okay, I'll call Susan. Listening all the time. I mean, I could talk to Siri. Just talk to her. Hey, Siri. You know, for a while, my gas tank wasn't working correctly, and I had to figure out the mileage, and I suddenly got, you know, smart, and I realized I don't got to do this. Hey, Siri, what's 14 times 10? Now, that's an easy one. I know that. (laughs) I'm just checking to see if you're awake. Come on. (laughs) I don't know what kind of technology is being used here, but what we do know is it's false. We do know that it's deceptive. It's an image of the beast that is, in effect, alive. So much so. Verse 15, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Think about that. Now we're not even talking about the beast itself, the Antichrist. We're talking about an image of the beast and the image of the beast somehow is able to discern and somehow is able to think and is able to do certain things. And if you don't worship the image of the beast, the image of the beast will cause you to be killed. Well, there's the mark of the beast, verse 16. He causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
A mark is given for everyone to have, and he lists out everybody. It doesn't matter socially what ladder you're on. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, successful or not. All of humanity is demanded to have this mark, either on your right hand or on the forehead, in order to buy and sell. And clearly the indication is if you don't have the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy and sell. Therefore, you're being persecuted. And we know that believers at that time will not receive the mark of the beast. And as a result, they will be oppressed in the midst of the economic order that the Antichrist has set up. In verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. 666. Boy, a number of infamy. I'll never forget being in Eastern Europe. And they had uh, phones, you know, uh, before cell phones. This was probably about 20 years ago. And I went in and I looked at that phone. And rather than 911, we use 911 to call, right, for an emergency. Guess what their number was? 666. Indescribable. You kind of went in shock. Like, is that for real? 666. We don't know exactly what this number means. A lot of people have speculated all over about it. He makes it very clear, the number of his name. That's back in verse 17. But the number is that of a man, and it's 666. So clearly the number of the beast's name and or his number adds up in some way to 666. And it may be that his name adds up to that number. In other words, you calculate the letters and you have certain ways of of looking at each letter and what that value of that letter is. And perhaps Nero is an example of this and the Antichrist, uh, the second beast and and all that Satan espouses uh, gets into this moment where this is a very Nero-like individual. It may be that this is the number of man in triplicate, right? The number of God is seven in so many ways. It's used all through scripture. The number of man is six, so maybe it's in triplicate in order to depict the dragon, uh, the first beast, and the second beast. Regardless, this number will be used in order to mark those in order for them to show their allegiance to the beast and have the ability to buy and sell. Let me, let me give you just some characteristics of each of these beasts. First of all, they are satanically empowered. Satanically empowered. They're not good. They're not righteous. They're not truthful. They are liars. They are evil. They are satanic. The false worldwide worship that takes place is an abomination to God himself. Their whole purpose is to deceive people from worshiping the one true God, from receiving salvation in the one true God through Jesus Christ. The political control of all the world, certainly the religious control. The Antichrist is the political figurehead. The second beast or the false prophet is the religious figurehead is seen through the worship of the beasts along with Satan himself. There is a fatal wound. There is somehow a resurrection or a healing of that first beast, the Antichrist. And there's the mark of the beast causing the worship of him, all except the elect, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. One thing 
And this is a promise that we'll look at in Revelation 19 over the coming days. But Revelation 19, 20, I'm so thankful for this. It says, the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Amen. God is not mocked. The Lord knows exactly what he wants to do, why he's allowing these things, and ultimately it is for the purpose of putting down sin as well as drawing Israel to himself. Well, today, what do we see? How does this relate to us? I think the seedbed of all that's going to take place, we can see it today clearly. The picture or the idea of a one-world government. I mean, this is being discussed all over the place. It's Babylon steroids. It's indescribable, the technology that we have and the usefulness of it, and yet, in the wrong hands, how potentially disastrous this is to people's freedom, to even understanding what truth is and uh, knowing the truth of circumstances. We're watching that take place in our day travel within the world and the connectivity of the world is something that is just, it's an amazing thing. You can get on an app, Viber, and you can call over to Myanmar, and it's as if you're next door. In fact, the honest truth is, sometimes it's better than my connection at my house. <laughs> it's incredible, folks. The connectivity, the, the whole technology that we have, connecting the world together, it's incredible. There's also the desire to solve all the problems of the world by man's thinking rather than God's ability or grace. We deny sin. We deny the root problem. We deny the real issue. And mankind is constantly absorbed in trying to fix the problems of planet Earth that only the Lord Jesus Christ himself can fix. I don't care whether you're talking about the ecosystem. I don't care whether you're talking politically. I don't care whether you're talking spiritually. I don't care whether you're talking about cancer, physiologically. It doesn't matter. Man is just absolutely obsessed with fixing the problems, but not turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ alone are all of these problems able to be solved because only he can solve them. We're seeing that over and over and over again. Well, there's a false worship. There's an ecumenical movement. All religions are equal. Jonathan's facing it in his classes with his teachers, and I know many of the students are as well. It's indescribable. I don't know if you saw the Amazon commercial with the Jewish rabbi and the Muslim cleric. They came to visit one another. They had an argument. They were talking. They were polite about it. And they left and they both ordered one another knee pads because they both pray. Folks, that's evil. Let's call it for what it is. That's an offense to a holy, almighty God. 
And that is something that cannot stand. As believers, we need to recognize that, understand that, and stand for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of his grace. Even as 500 years ago, Martin Luther put those theses on the walls in order to say, in Christ alone, today we need to take that same stand as never before because the world seeks to deceive people in going to hell. Because they do not believe the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Listen, we need to stand in this. Well, there's this false worship, but there's also a war against truth, which is part and parcel to false worship. Folks, salvation is in Christ alone. The religions of the world are not equal Christianity far surpasses the religions of the world because it has nothing to do with man's works to get to God. It has everything to do with God's grace in coming to man. And folks, when you begin to think about the wonder of the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has done for us, how can we not say, Lord, here's our lives. Use them in whatever way that you choose. When we talk about works, for gra- works versus grace, the spiritual battle that we're engaged in, listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1.8. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed and anathema, given over to God for destruction. That's what the word means. Indescribable. We're seeing a false religion pervade an ecumenical movement throughout this world that is indescribable. It is false. It is evil. It is not according to God's ways, according to his word. And as believers, we need to be wise about this and stand in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and be true to what the gospel truly says, which is that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone period. One last thought, 2 Timothy 3 in these last days, when we think about all the things that we're watching and all this different uh, stuff taking place, Paul tells Timothy in his last letter to Timothy as he instructs him that he's about to leave this world, he's about to be martyred for the faith, and Timothy is to guard through the Holy Spirit the precious treasure that he's been entrusted with, meaning the Word of God. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. That word is literally the devil, the devil. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Wow. How are we standing on the word of God today? How are we willing with boldness and kindness and gentleness because it's the kindness of God that draws all men to repentance? How are we willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of what he has for us in our day, in our age? For such a time as this, folks. For such a time as this. 500 years ago, Martin Luther said, in Christ alone, in Scripture alone, grace alone, in faith alone, for the glory of God alone. 
Do we affirm that again today? Do we affirm that again today? Are our lives being lived out in such a way where we're simply yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, yes, Lord, here's my life. It's for your glory alone. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 